Welcome to Team Futurism. Today I'm joined by Devin Carson and we're going to be talking about an article I recently wrote for Miriam West about longevity. It was called Elon Musk's Bad Take on Longevity. And this was, you know, I, I wrote this, you know, because I was genuinely shocked to learn about Elon Musk's view on longevity, which was that he's like not a fan, which is kind of off brand for him. Was that shocking to you or was I was I the only one who wasn't like keyed into this? I don't know what to think about this guy anymore, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> Good point. I yeah. feel, yeah, I, he's so all over the place with what, I mean, I think the Twitter thing either exposed like a, a kind of gross, slimy underbelly of the man or <laughs> or created it, you know, because I feel like there's maybe we're just exposed to a lot more of his kind of personal foibles than we were before. But mm -hmm. I, I didn't I, I can't cobble together uh, an actual view of who I think this person is anymore, other than I think he's probably a fucking alien. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't want people to live longer for some like a lot of the shit that he says. I'm like, die, you're just a fucking cosmic super being man just seeing everything from forty thousand feet you know like he, he probably knows <laughs> well i mean one it of did, the big, it did it surprised me a little bit yeah yeah because like one of the big arguments against longevity is that uh human population right where the human population is going to just expand and expand and expand he has always been a proponent of we need more people not less so right. you know that uh, objection to longevity just doesn't apply to his worldview. And that's kind of like one of the big ones. So I just naturally assumed, okay, Elon Musk, he's like the futurist guy. Um, right. He's going to be for this. And then like, I saw it on Twitter actually. And then I looked up a couple of like videos and there are full on interviews where he is just bashing longevity. I want to get into the, the reasons like why, you know, but kind of before we get into that, What's your general take on Elon Musk? You said he's like an alien, but are you still kind of like a fan of his? Were you ever a fan? I want to talk about I that. Was. Just to kind of like, you know, get my thoughts in line. Yeah, no, I was. I, I watched a documentary on SpaceX where he was really prominent in the documentary and speaking a lot, very candidly. And like his affect was, I mean, I go a lot off feel when I'm looking at people and trying to figure out how to cobble together an opinion of them. Uh, and like the, he felt the read for me was really authentic. You know, it seemed like it also seemed like he says stuff often where it belies some deeper knowledge base that I don't have access to where he'll say things with like kind of a certainty around like population or like his whole thing where like we can't let the light of humanity be snuffed out in the universe you know and that's why we need to like be an interplanetary species that to me seems like what a fucking alien would say like an alien that's like watched like worlds be like hit by asteroids or something like that like in the galactic you know network of of planets or something you know or the galactic history the, the collective galactic history like they've seen like beautiful civilizations snuffed out by like comets and shit like that um so I I watched that documentary. I like really liked his energy. I really liked the guy. Dude, as soon as he fucking got his hands on Twitter, I was like, what? I, it was so idiosyncratic with my with my constructed image of him where I was like, oh shit, like is this guy 
is this, I couldn't, you know, there's just all kinds of weird stuff that has come out of that where he seems a little bit like a control freak, seems like a mm-hmm. know-it-all where he's, he's got that kind of scientist complex that I've even friends of mine will have once they at like PhDs and stuff where they're like, well, I know how to fucking, I'm, I've, I'm a, I have a PhD. Like I, I can reason through anything. And it's like, mm-hmm. nah, it's just not how the world works, man. Like, you know, like there's just shit that you, no matter how smart you are, you're not going to have a clear lens into how it actually operates. Seems like that happened with the Twitter thing. I don't know what to think about this guy anymore, man. I, I don't really like him that much anymore, to be honest. He seems like kind of a fucking, he seems like kind of an asshole. Yeah. But yeah. What do you I, think? I mean, what's, what's your, what's your felt? I mean, let me ask you at first. Because we've been seeing Elon Musk forever, right? Like ten years now. What what was your impression of him? You know, pre him becoming like a really public figure, and now is it different? I mean, one thing that was interesting about Elon Musk was that he wasn't a hugely known name, even when he was doing Tesla and just starting SpaceX. He's been around in the Bay Area forever, so I think that we've kind of, like, keyed in on his name. But, like, I was always shocked that just, like, five years ago, I would talk to people and just casually mention Elon Musk, and they would have no idea who he was. And that's uh, that was partly in my mind why he was always so cool, like, above and beyond what he probably ever should have been considered cool because he just it was like this almost an underground thing like oh my god you don't know who elon musk is i mean like come on and you could just like that was part of he's saving the planet (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and like for real you know Uh, so that was you know i've always liked him and it was cool to know about him even way before he became this mass public figure um right and i've always like you said he's always seemed very personable like in interviews he comes off as this guy who's just like Clearly has an ego, but it does. He seems like he's able to joke at himself too in a way that's like yeah. for somebody that powerful and, mm-hmm. and rich and famous. What's weird is that he still has that, and I'm almost yeah. shocked by it because the whole Twitter thing. When you see him on Twitter and you just hear about what he's done to Twitter employees and all of that, it's just it's so horrible to read about. It's like oh my god, I hate this guy. Yeah, but then, it's upsetting. You know, it wasn't even that long ago I heard him on a long-form interview with, I think it was the the, the TED guy for a, a TED Talk interview, and he was just his same very personable, kind right. of stuttering, um, likable guy. And yeah, it's just so likeable. interesting. He he's I think it's like, like a lot of people, he's complicated, and he has some parts of him that I think are genuinely good and genuinely forward-thinking and awesome, and other parts that are just, just gross. And I do think that fame and fortune corrupts literally anyone. Yeah. Literally everyone. And in yeah. this, he made a like a, a blatantly bad business deal buying Twitter where for yeah. $40 billion and now it's apparently people are saying it's worth basically nothing at some level. Whoa. And he's trying to turn it to not only just turn it around, but turn it into like a web property that is the everything web property that does payment tra- transactions and, and, you know, social and everything. I mean, it's kind of like good luck. I mean, that would be cool, but good luck. And I don't think Twitter is even the right starting place with that anyway. He just liked Twitter. And now I right, mean, the, right. the big news is that he is downgrading links to Substack. Uh, so all the Substack writers, which are people who are, you know, in general, they're going to be favorable to him, I think. Um, now a lot of them, like even Matt Taibbi are, are like kind of turning on him in that sense being like, no, I'm sticking with Substack. I'm not going to like ditch Twitter because Substack's a competitor. 
I don't know. It's really interesting, but I'll, I'll kind of like leave that piece there just because we could <laughs> probably talk about Elon Musk forever and yeah, what yeah. particularly bugs us about him versus not. Um, I'm not sure how useful it is because he's probably going to be doing other ridiculous shit five months from now that will make whatever we think now irrelevant. But sure. um, so to longevity, just to jump into that, his perspective is that, and I want to get your your take on this before I jump into my, you know, my counter argument, his take is actually pretty interesting and I kind of it like is. it it's, and it's worth yeah, thinking yeah, about. It makes okay. sense. Yeah, so his take is like, we shouldn't really pursue the project of extending human lifespan because it will lead to ossification of society and people will no longer have new ideas because old people don't have new ideas. Okay, right. I, I thought about this a lot and I have my whole rebuttal, it's all out there in my, my article. What are your thoughts and what's your kind of like your first impression of that take? No, it, 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 uh, it makes a lot, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And like empirically, you know, as we look at the world and we look at American politics and something that you reference in your article, which is, the, or I don't know if you were referencing him saying it, but that there's a gerontocracy, right? That we have yeah. this tendency to over, we, we overly trust age as a proxy for wisdom, mm -hmm. which as you get older, you know, we're both in our 30s. I think you do start to see that there's a correlation between those two things, that as you get older and as you age and as you see more stuff, you're, you do get a little bit more of a nuanced perspective on things that isn't, that's informed by maybe more esoteric stuff. You know, wisdom is something that's just kind of an esoteric concept. And you do kind of, if you're doing your life right, or if you're following the path of your life, you know, in a, in a way that I think is, is responsible, you do accrue wisdom as you get older, but mm -hmm. you do also get a little, you, at, with that, with that perspective, you, a lot of people also contract a malignant case of certainty, you know, mm -hmm. which is, that is, is really dangerous, especially when it comes to governing a broad swath of humanity, right? Like the president governs everyone from zero to a hundred and whatever. And it is hard to be relative to people that are younger than you when you're old as fuck. <laughs> and um, I think that's a reasonable take, but I think that there's just other levers for controlling yeah. for that variable, right? Like the idea that that just seems like hitting something with a hammer that just doesn't need to be hit with a hammer, that it needs a different tool. Cause we don't need to stop people from living longer, but there, the ossification, the, the way that older folks kind of become functionally fixed is something that we is it's already being approached because the internet is something that broadens people's perspective sight unseen as a user of the internet your perspective is being broadened it might be in certain places narrowed but in general you're being exposed to more we haven't seen the longitudinal effects of that right we're we're watching old people in their kind of like calcified state but they lived most of their lives without like kind of the panoply of, of information that we have now. So we don't really kind of understand the long-term effects of being exposed. We don't know what the old people are going to be like 20 years from now. Those are people that grew up on a completely different set of, of um, informational kind of ethics and just information in general. So mm -hmm. that's my, that's my, my kind of, yeah, my kind of quick take on it is that, is that, uh, yeah, it's a good point. It doesn't seem fully thought out though. It, it kind of, 
it feels like a knee-jerk response. It feels like yeah. something that maybe he has ulterior motives for saying, where he's mm-hmm. like, ah, you know, I don't want to see people live longer because of this, this, and this. And it's like, I guess you can't expect the guy to have a super nuanced view on every single thing he talks about. That one just seems a little kind of, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, you know? Yeah, what do you well, think? Like, as you're talking, I just had this kind of thought, which is that just aside from everything else, you put everything on the back burner, life and health are good, right? That's why society matters at yeah. all, right? Is that it's good to be alive Yeah. and, and like yeah. kind of full stop. And what is the point of anything yeah. if we're not here to live and to make ourselves live? And the things that, that make society suck, it's really at some level, it's not ossification. It's, it, I mean, that's, that's not great, but I mean, like societies do just naturally change. They're going to change and nothing ever can stop that. Um, the pace yeah. kind of doesn't matter. It's kind of irrelevant in that there's no, it's not like, society is going to end in 50 years and we have a finish line and we have to hit that finish line. It's like, no, we're just, we just gotta, we have nowhere to go. We have nowhere to be. Let's just, and we gotta live and enjoy now. You know, that's a whole thing. Yeah. What's bad about society and what, what is, you know, can be bad for society are just things like authoritarianism. You know, it is like lack yeah. of freedom, things like that. Yeah. And when we're right now on this like pendulum shifting like more and more quickly so that we're going back and forth between like more rights, less rights, more rights, less rights, more authoritarianism, more nationalism and and more it's it's right now it's kind of chaos and almost at some level that's an argument to wanting to really do kind of socially slow things down a little bit so that we just take a breath and just like again just like now is an okay time to be alive. Let's just, whatever's working now, let's make that work. And whatever's not working, let's maybe try to kind of slowly tweak it to fix it. This is not yeah. a very futurist perspective of mine because futurists tend to be just kind of like, yeah, let's go gung-ho for whatever go, go, go. is, is te- technologically yeah. advancing us. But right. really, if you think about it, like we have no place to go, guys. Let's just like t- slightly fix what's working for us. And but yeah, but, I mean, back to the main point here is that life is good. Like I don't think that anyone can say anything. Like, what are you gonna be like anti-life? Well, then, what are you even doing here? You know what I mean? What are you doing? What are we talking about? <laughs> I mean, as a person that often says all these fucking old people need to die so that our society I that shit too. I know. I say the boomers are the problem with everything. But I keep, but I think like, yeah, but then you've got people like, I, uh, I don't love this guy, but like the liver king, you know what I'm saying? Where he's like, dude, he's like old people 2.0 in a certain way where he's obviously a little bit of a shit bag, you know, but he's obviously like a completely different breed of old person than we've really seen. Some jacked, some like ultra jacked fucking, you know, old ass dude that's kind of, you know, that's thinking that is, is really cogent, that is, you know, like pushing his you know, pushing his feelers out into culture and into society and gathering people and not in a way where he's like just preaching to a mass of people that are about to agree with him anyways, like a lot of old folks do to other old folks, be they Republican or Democrat. And, you know, all they have to say is like the dog whistle and everybody's like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) Hey, well, do you want, do you know Tim Urban? Do you know that guy? We're not talking about Carl Urban. 
or not the actor uh, or Ke- or Keith Urban, the country <laughs> singer. <laughs> not Urban. Which is the Urbans? <laughs> there, yeah, a lot of a lot of Urbans. Uh, there's this guy Tim Urban. He's uh he's going around the podcast circuit now because he has a new book. He's just like a famous blogger, effectively, but he has a lot of like interesting insights. He was just on Sam Harris's podcast this week, and he said something. I have not followed his work too too closely, but um he said something to Sam Harris that just like kind of shocked me and it's so relevant to this this conversation. He said that people don't actually care about politics. People who think that they're way into politics, they're totally not. What they're talking about is just reality TV. They know Marjorie Taylor Greene and Trump and the big names and that we all talk about. Ask anybody who's way into politics, what is on the ballot and why those ballot measures matter in their local district. Sure. Say name one state senator in your state where you live in. No way. Or name like a neighboring right. state senator. We don't know anything. We know the reality TV show. We know the main characters yeah. aren't actually doing anything. They're just like Marjorie Taylor Greene does not matter in, in politics. Political in political info. What bills has he written? What bills is she getting passed? Like nothing. It's just like right. it's right. that's it's it's a reality TV show. When he said that, it just did did just kind of blow my mind a little bit because I really, you know, year by year, I do not know, and I try to follow politics, you know, I do not know what the big important measures are, and I don't really have a big grasp of, like, what the, what the implications are going to be. So all of this stuff is really kind of happening by senior-level senators that aren't just all talk and show, but they're the people doing the work and really kind of tweaking the edges, which is what needs to happen to move society forward so that our society sustains itself, Right. Right. I, I don't know. I think that that's kind of an important point to keep in mind in that, like, who knows? Who, who knows what's happening po- politically, you know, in, in terms of ossification versus non-ossification when it's old people versus young people? Maybe the young people are all full of talk and don't actually do shit, you know? So maybe the sure. old people really are the, the radical ones moving us forward because I just don't know any of their names. And I don't know. I, again, I'm watching the reality TV show myself personally. I don't I don't know the details. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it is inarguably the old people that are moving us forward because they're the only ones that have the time and energy and space and care and thoughtfulness to actually keep up with this shit and vote. You yeah. know, it's like whether we whether we like it or not, these are the people that are marching us forward and people younger than them have alternate priorities. And that is what it is right now. It, I think it's interesting, though, because as political as political debate becomes more entertainment, it actually seems like it is catching more young people, which is interesting because old people right. are they're down to keep up with the shit no matter how boring it is. And young people just have a lot of exciting shit going on. And I think maybe don't always really want to find time for that. But when it becomes something that's like a real, you know, a hot button issue that sweeps through social media and sweeps through like the newsosphere, the people like the abortion issue or, you know, the Clarence Thomas taking bribes issue. That's all over my fucking uh, all over all my feeds right now. It Mm -hmm. becomes something that actually starts firing gears. I think there's a disconnect between being upset and having an opinion about something and actually having a democratic influence on that with your vote that becomes i think that's the disconnect that needs to be mended before we have like a more egalitarian um like influence through the voting base of like what happens as the future kind of unfolds itself Mm -hmm. but um yeah uh 
I don't know, man. <laughs> wait, wait. Let me let me pivot. Let me pivot. Wait. Are yeah. you? How are we on uh, on Elon Musk and longevity? You feel like you've you feel like you've said your piece on that? Wait, wait, give me some. Give me uh, give me a final thought. Yeah, I, I have a couple more thoughts on the longevity thing. I mean, I, I guess that that uh, in my in my article, the the thrust of my argument against Elon Musk was that, and you you kind of alluded to this. Um, when we do get to the point where medical science does give us an extent, like a meaningfully extended lifespan, we're not talking living forever, and who cares if it's five years, but we're talking like 50 to 100 years, people are, li are living that much longer, right? Um, in that world, yeah. like society will naturally and inherently change so that people just don't even think about retiring at 65. Um, and just with like, for example, with, with a little teeny bit of social engineering and not even that drastic, it would not be hard at all to encourage people to start a second, third or fourth career. When you're, sure. imagine just how exciting this would be. You are, let's say you're 120 years old. You look and you feel like you're 30. You feel fucking great. You can drink a case of beer every night and just get up in the morning and fucking crush it, right? You're not going to sit around watching daytime television. You are not. There's no world in which that is a thing. Um, maybe sure. I'm being dramatic with like, you know, you're 120 and feeling like you're 30. But that's what we're actually talking about with the longevity movement. That's what we're actually trying to do, whether or not we will. In any case, uh, a little, even if people do feeling great at 120 and want to sit around doing nothing and just taking social security checks, um, which I don't think that they will naturally, but even if they do, all we have to do, and people would do this to make society keep on going, just a couple of tweaks to just be like, you don't get social security until you're 150. You, uh, here's like a college specifically designed to uh, get you going on, on what you've always wanted to do your whole entire life, but you weren't able to do it because you were stuck in a dead, dead end job. It's a second life. It's a third. It's a fourth life. It's exciting. And in, anyway, so, so a little social engineering and just by the nature of this thing, uh, society will change around these changes to make it so that ossification is like maybe a talking point for people who have specific cases of dementia or whatever that can't be cured by whatever's happening in the medical science. But the medical science will, if it comes true, it will be so radical that ossification will not, it just, it just won't be part of this picture. I disagree. Okay. Uh, because I think that one of the things that you would see if you had dramatic life extension is like the sequestration of wealth become like a way more, like it's already become like the, the wealth divide in our country and throughout the world is becoming such a huge like functional issue in our society where we've got like, you know, we have a monetary system that's willing to surge as much money as is necessary into an economy to keep the idea of an economy like um, like a cogent and like well-formed thing that keeps going and keeps everybody kind of moving. But then you've got like these people at the top, man, that are sequestering so much wealth 
And if you imagine a person that's in their 70s, they've got to fucking die and pass that on to somebody younger who maybe has only a marginal, um, really only has like a marginal chance of, of being a different person than the person that gave them all of that wealth and influence. You imagine someone's like 120, 140 and has been a billionaire since they were like in their 60s. The amount of influence that that person would be able to wield is, kind, I think, is something that we've never even been able to imagine. And that could be a problem. Like, I think you're right. Yes. The social engineering part has got to be a part of it where it's like there's got to be some kind of proto-socialist, proto-communist yeah. like idea of like a wealth cap where you're like, all right, dude, you know, your company can be worth whatever, but you personally can only be worth what a billion how much money does a person functionally need you know the idea that we have an entire sector of our economy that's built on building you know multi-million dollar objects for rich people like fidget spinners for rich people is fucking absurd man you know and you're you're talking about like the middle class where you're like oh people are sitting on social security for you know 50 years or something that won't really be a problem like the middle class is never a problem the, the lower class the poor the po poverty like the the amount of actual money that that sector of people you know consumes in terms of like government spending and welfare and stuff it's such a small small it gets blown up in the media as being something as a talking point but it's such a small percentage i think that the ossification problem would become people sequestering wealth over 100 120 years and power over mm -hmm. that length of time where it would be pretty challenging i think to try to counterbalance that i, I think i'm changing my opinion as we're talking <laughs> well well so i think that you're you're right that that's a concern um right now i i, I do have a rebuttal to this right now yeah. we live in a world that has mean rich people would you rather live in a world that also has mean rich people but you get to live forever or a society where you already live for you, you already have a society that has mean rich people, but you fucking die. Like that's the choice. So we will have mean rich people that are greedy. We absolutely yeah, but will. What if it's only the mean rich people that are living a long time? Well, here's my, here's my, uh, my, my second point, which is actually a better point. That was kind of snarky. My, my <laughs> best point is that in terms of human suffering, day to day, human misery and human suffering, which that's, that's the problem. I don't I actually don't care if rich people exist yeah. or whatever. Yeah, let's right. let's treat society so that it's but but in terms of human suffering, the I, I read this the other day. I think this is true. I'll have to fact check it. But uh, the largest growing majority of people who are living in poverty, it is old people. Oh, that makes sense. And it's because their their knees gave gave out. Their eyes are bad. They don't know how to work computers. They're retiring. They can't get another job because they feel they too were shitty old to their kids, and their kids don't give a fuck about them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what would what would help that problem is a medical intervention so that their bodies are healed, their bodies and their minds are sharp again, and they don't have to just like wait for the social security check. They can go out and like start they their can fucking work. Career. <laughs> no, but we like put these elderly people back to fucking work like where they should be. <laughs> but again, like why that 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 actually doesn't is not a bad thing, even though on the surface it might be, is that they will feel great and people like working. Yeah. Like working actually yep. means like it adds meaning and value to people's lives. People enjoy work. People don't enjoy, I don't think, working 40 hours a week for a shitty boss. You know, I think that we do need to like work to 
make it so that people earn living wages and not happen to maybe work 30 hours a week or whatever. I'm in favor of the four day work, work week. I'm in favor of like, you know, some UBI at some level. In any case, I think that that's an okay rebuttal to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I that think is that's a problem. Fair. I will, I like, that is a problem. We should not ignore the fact that you look at any sci-fi story, you know, Altered Carbon, for example, where- I was uh, thinking of the, the whole time we're talking, I'm thinking about Altered Carbon. But you know what also is cool about Alter Carbon? There's a there's a good show on Netflix if anybody hasn't seen it. But uh, there is you know these people live basically forever, and of course it's a mega ultra powerful people who control everything, just like you were alluding to. But like there's still fucking heroes, you know. The heroes also yeah. live forever, and they're badasses, and their dramas are worth it, and that's why we pay attention because like we're fighting for the underdog. That again is what gives meaning and value to life is fighting for the underdog. We fucking love underdogs. So here's to the, the underdog that lives forever and uh, to, takes on the little guy for, or the, sorry, the, the trillion. I am, I am that underdog, man. As we're talking right. about this, I keep thinking like, I have a slip disc in my neck, right? And I just found out I got an MRI. You know, a state sponsored, uh, you know, Medi-Cal paid for my MRI, which is fucking sweet, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. a, that's an advance that I can go use this fucking million multi-million dollar piece of technology for free because i'm poor and um but the intervention that would solve that problem which you know wouldn't solve it but would help a lot would be stem cells or plp you know um right platelet-rich plasma injections which are out of my reach so it's mm -hmm. like an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy that we're in right now even as a society where we have access stem cell treatments could fix so many fucking problems dude and whether it's like big pharma suppressing the ability for that to become cheap and effective or whether it just is one of those things where we're actually watching this like health and wealth divide split off in this really meaningful way where you've got you know, famous stand-up comedians, they're, they they now go into their dressing room and they get fucking, uh, they get, uh, uh, they get, you know, intravenous vitamin drips. Yep. And, you know, this is famous people are able to do this stuff on a daily basis, the life extension technology. And it is so brutally out of reach for anyone below that socioeconomic class that I, I, I find my, I'm an art, I'm trying to be that fucking guy dude like i'm trying to break the you know the chains of of intergenerational poverty and become like you know a guy that gets fucking vitamin drips every time i go perform you know so like i am the underdog that you're talking about it's not as sexy as you might think peter <laughs> Yeah, but like you, when when the screenwriter writes this scenario, you are the hero in that in that story. You know what I mean? And that's that's something to live for. That's something to to jive on. I feel like. That's true. That's true. It is. Yeah, it is the stories we tell ourselves that make life worth it. That's my ultimate view on human meaning and purpose. I like it. I like it. What else? I, what else you got? You got? Any, you got? You got more Musk longevity? I had one, one very last note. This is, was just kind of interesting to me. I'll just, just, hit just me. yeah, hit. I'll hit you with it. Uh, so there, there is. While my article was floating around, there was a, a kind of a, a parallel debate on Twitter happening um, that I just kind of stumbled on. There's this guy uh, Yuri Dagan. So he's been arguing with Nicholas Bauer, some PhD dude, about whether or not longevity is just a total waste of time. 
And so this uh, Nicholas Bauer dude is arguing that we shouldn't even bother with this life extension thing for people who are alive right now. The game-changing element is going to be tweaking the DNA of fetuses before they're alive. Okay. So because the little tweaks we're doing right now, it might give us an extra five years, but who gives a fuck? To meaningfully extend life, it's going to have, have to happen in utero. This um, guy's a fucking idiot, dude. Yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts <laughs> on this perspective? Dude, the, the, just the idea, just the concept that medical science is prepared to make like multi-decade longitudinal strides is, is fucking absurd. Like, there's no drug, there's like, there are so many drugs that have come out in the last even 30 years since medical science has been relatively modernized that we're seeing have atrocious, insane, brutal effects on the human body when dealt with in a longitudinal way. You know, you're seeing like cancer. We don't understand how any of this shit works yet, man. And as, as much as it drives me nuts as a person that really is invested in, in watching medical science grow and hoping that it becomes something that's cohesive and less uh, co-opted by corporate interests and less kind of just difficult to deal with as a behemoth and moves a little bit faster in a more common sense way, we're not even close. You think you, you make a couple tweaks to the human genome or to a, or to a sequence of DNA to try to to try to extract a meaningful change from a human life, you you might be putting someone in in a prison that is not knowable to you for a hundred years. That's like you know you make a tweak to someone's DNA and it changes something about the way they think, the way they experience or perceive reality. That kind of stuff happens organically all the time. But if you actually meaningfully do that, you become responsible for somebody's. For, for a shift in in um, in a human life that could take a hundred years to to resolve itself and, and put somebody in a situation where they're living in hell, you know, mm -hmm. for a really really long time. And I just don't think that I think there's a hubris that happens in medical science and that happens with kind of Western medicine where they're like, we can solve for this, and it's like. Yeah, you're not ready yet, man. You're not. You're not ready because you. I mean, you, maybe I want to push back just a little bit. And that, yeah, like, yeah. just had a child a year ago. It is amazing what they know and can do. You know, like you get this just litany of tests when when you're talking about sure. like a you know two month old little thing. Um, you get all these tests, and then like if any sort of a test comes back negative or sketchy, they have interventions. You know what sure. I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know how any of this works, but you can get like very scary test results back. And then they're like, oh yeah, I mean, you take this pill. You know what I mean? Like it's, we are advancing at a crazy level. I actually do agree with you that there are tons of ethical concerns <laughs> and that we are just not there yet in terms of like crispering little uh, fetuses to make them fucking live longer. You know, let alone like even not have cancer or certain things. Like we, we're not there yet, but, I mean, you know, we will be. I don't know when, but I, AI I, I, is going to change the game. Yeah, AI that's what I'm gonna, too. It, yeah. AI, once we have, once we have an effective 
understanding of mechanisms of action in the body, which we're pretty close to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I have a doubt that humans are going to be able to fully solve that. Like we still don't understand protein folding, which is something that's like at the kind of quintessential base of understanding how the meat suit is created and maintained. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's crazy that we still, but we have computer models that are able to, you know, start building these kind of simulations of how these things might work. When when we have a functional AI that's able to kind of come comb through the, the the body of medical research and really tell us, hey, this is actually how this process works. We're not looking at metadata. We're not having one person interpret, you know, like uh, an epidemiological study. We're not, we don't, when we have some, a definitive answer on how some of this stuff works, I think that'll change everything. And I think we could possibly be pretty close to that. But if we're relying on humans to tell us what is, what is wrong and how to fix it, my, my personal experience with Western medicine and my kind of just perspectival experience with Western medicine is that there is a hubris built into it that actually prevents it from being effective in, in certain ways. There's certain things that it's able to fix, but because of that, it thinks that everything can be fixed and that th- it will eventually iterate to fix a lot of these things. But it's like, ah, oh, man, we're still so controlled by corporate interests in, the, in, in medical science and academic interests in, in medical science that are completely counterproductive to actually figuring out what's going on. Yeah, I think those are important points. I I do think just like one last argument against this dude is that I think that we're, there is like really exciting stuff happening in the longevity research space for people who are alive right now. And they have nothing else. They have identified what the problems are. There are between seven and 12 things that can be tweaked. And we we're just trying to figure out how to tweak them so that we don't have you know, our cells degenerating in, in certain ways um, and how ca- cancer doesn't spread, certain things like that. Um, yeah. And let me just say this one thing that I find really fascinating as we see like people like Andrew Huberman, as we see people like, um, oh, I'm blanking on her name. She's one of my favorite kind of uh, health scientists right now as well. Uh, we see people like really doing thoughtful deep dives on how to control for telomere length or any kind of spread of these um of these kind of effects that age us like it's it i find it awesome and uh somewhat ironic that so many of the things that they find are things that have been time tested through thousands of years of human civilization you know like the hormetic effect that is you know that happens when you get into a sauna or an ice bath what and it's like it's funny is like I love watching white people Columbus this shit where they're like fucking ice baths right like who would have thought and I'm like yeah like a lot of people for many thousands of years it, it so happens you know saunas fucking like regular exercise in like biomimetic ways you know like things like that where it's like there are drugs right there are there are um you know, nicotinamide and and things that can really like at a cellular and genetic level help you recover from the effects of aging. But there's a huge, there's a cornucopia of things that people were so bored. They didn't have the internet for fucking like 10,000 years. And they're like, dude, how do we get this fucking thing to stop falling apart? 
and they fucking figured it out, dude. Like, they figured yoga, breathing, ice dip, hot, you know, hot exposure, cold exposure, like, you know, biomimetic exercises, like, stuff like that is, like, I don't know. I just thought I, I I have to mention that because I think that it's it's fun to watch medical science rediscover like ancient techniques and be like these are actually kind of the most effective tools that we have still. <laughs> Absolutely, I've got to wrap it up there, unfortunately. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a perfect place to end on. Um, thanks, Evan. Hey, till next time.